Well, hey, Chris. Hey, John. I don't know about you, but I'm ready to talk about last night's episode of Better Call Saul, the second episode of the third season, here on our podcast about that show called Saul Searching. Okay. Uh, yeah, sure. I'm, I'm ready, too. All right. So this episode was titled Witness, and it was directed, once again, as was the season premiere, by the show's co-creator, Vince Gilligan, and it was written this time by Thomas Schnauz, who is a writer who has been on Better Call Saul since the beginning and was uh, uh, one of the main writers on Breaking Bad as well. So he, he knows this world and, and the style and the tone of it pretty well. Schnauz. And Schnauz. I know that's a good last name. I, I always, my first dog, Sugar, was a Schnauzer. So it's hard for me not to think of Sugar when I when I hear of Thomas Schnauz. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't know if he resembles a lovable dog that's going to run away uh, and you'll never see it again. Oh, yeah, you didn't know that about sugar, did no, you? No, I, I, I don't remember sugar. Before we get into last night's episode, I wanted to do a little bit to sort of clean up from the season premiere. We had a couple of questions and a couple of bits of information that I thought I would just get out of the way. Okay. One, which is that when we last were talking about this, we were talking about The Adventures of Mabel, the book that uh, Jimmy pulled off of Chuck's shelf. And it turns out that The Adventures of Mabel was, in fact, a book that Vince Gilligan's mother who uh, was a reading teacher that she loved and that, um, you know, he grew up loving. So it was a significant thing to throw in, whether there's any thematic significance to the book itself and the show. We may find out how significant it it, it really is in upcoming episodes when uh, Mike is taken beneath a mountain and the fairy king gives him a wonderful jelly. Well, it is an interesting sounding book, like the description of the book, the story of it. It does sound very much like an Oz book or a a through the looking glass type of thing where a character just has a series of wacky adventures. Yeah. The other book that came up in that same episode was David Niven's book, The Moon's a Balloon. And I didn't find out much about that, except that it was part one of David Niven's uh, autobiography. So it was about his early days as a young man and a soldier and an actor. And I, th- I think it came out in 1972, and he had a subsequent book uh, that picked up and told the rest of his life. But I, this one sentence from the description made me think this could be a, a connection to why Gene would be reading it in, in the future of this timeline, which is, The book is a funny yet tragic tale detailing everything from the loss of Niven's father to his natural knowledge of how to lead a good life. Okay. So it could be... Uh, you know, sort of an aspirational thing that that this is the man that kind of Jimmy wishes he was in some ways. Right. So yeah, there we go. There's there's our cleanup from last week. Um, there's one more thing that kind of is related to last week that will just take us right into this week's. And uh, I'll say uh, it's that I think we were amongst the minority of people who didn't realize that Chuck was setting Ernesto up last week. I got that in the first minute of this week. You know, as soon as I saw him looking around, I said, oh... It's so perfect, of course, and Chuck does, you know, think ahead several steps, so uh, of course. But, yeah, last week, I, I was fully taken in by his, by his plan, his ruse. Not only were we taken in, we were sort of, we were so taken in by it, we were commenting on the very thing that was tactical about it. Like, boy, he sure messed up! He sure messed up by making such a big deal out of it. Right. Now Ernesto's definitely going to tell Jimmy, right. is what we were saying. Right. And now we realize that him making a big deal out of it was part of the plan. Now, I went back and watched that scene again. Well, all the clues seem obvious now to me in retrospect. One being, I mean, in, in at, at the time, I was thinking, gosh, it's too perfect that the— that the thing would start, but I thought it was too perfect within the universe. I thought it was too perfect of the show writers to have 
the machine start playing and to have it play a line about changing the uh, numbers around. I thought that was just uh, uh, too perfect, but I thought it was, uh, you know, a form of writing that I was like, okay, I'll allow it, you know. But I realize now, of course, it started playing because Chuck, uh, you know, hit, uh, he took the batteries out and then hit play and, and setting it up to where, you know, it was queued up so that when you put batteries in, it starts playing right there. That makes so much more sense than that it was this wonderful coincidence. I didn't think about how orchestrated it seemed because it didn't seem like it had to be seen as so perfect. It just seemed like this was the quickest way to get across to the audience. This is the same tape. Ernesto heard enough to be curious. And now Chuck is flipping out. You know, like, yeah. we fell for the ruse the same way that Ernesto did. I think that that is, is interesting. But going back and watching the scene, I will say that at the end of the scene, Ernesto walks away. And there's, we stay on a long shot of Chuck as he stops the tape and puts it in the drawer, and he's still being kind of fastidious and Chuck-like, and you could believe that he is just thinking, dodged a bullet, I, I think I intimidated Ernesto to the point where he won't turn around and say anything about this. And then it cuts to a closer shot on him, and he flips the tongs he was holding up in the air in a kind of jovial way and catches them, and grins, oh. and walks out of frame. <laughs> I don't remember that shot. I feel like that would have been a, a huge tip-off, but I, maybe I... Chris, he does everything short of going... Done and done, and like rubbing his palms together, you know. <laughs> How did we miss that? Did you and I both miss that? I think we were so excited to be in the in the same room hanging out. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, it was all there. However, I do think it was constructed to work. That you could imagine that was Chuck grinning at how well he handled the situation. Right. You know? Right. It's just clear in retrospect that no, Chuck's not that dumb. Basically, right. everything we bought about the ruse. Yeah. Uh, uh, can be explained by Chuck's not that dumb. Right, Chuck we underestimated him in that down. moment, of course. Right. You have to always yes. remember that he's thinking ahead. And that he's just as conniving as Jimmy. Right. You know, and, and we've seen Jimmy pull off some pretty conniving stuff. So um, it's, there's been that suggestion before that it's kind of in the blood, that there's a there's an ability to, to kind of trick people and stuff. Yeah. Um, and I remember when we saw that Chuck had the tape recorder last year, it was like, okay, boom, Chuck just you know, con the con man. But I don't know why I wasn't thinking, and he's continuing to con uh, right now at the beginning of the season. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I guess we can talk a little bit more about that plot line, just the general kind of permutations it went through. Were you surprised at how quickly they burned through the Jimmy knows about the tape and here's what Chuck's plan is? Because I almost expected with the way this show works that we'd be midway into the season before we would know really what Chuck had in mind. Like how quickly did you realize we're getting close to the end game of this, this tape and what it stands for? Right, you never know how long it's going to take things to to play out on a show like this, and so yeah, it was kind of pleasing that by the end of the episode, so much had had happened. Um, but they did give me a roller coaster because, uh, you know, I I thought uh, he is probably going to get Jimmy. Jimmy's going to come over in the night, and then you've got the scene where he's saying Jimmy's going to probably sneak in here at night okay so we don't have to have the guards in the daytime and then jimmy busts in and i said to myself oh he's ruining the plan he's not gonna steal it in the night and he's just gonna yell at him whatever but then he you know i don't, I don't remember if he, he breaks the door he he threatens a chuck a, a, you know all kinds of things that he's gonna be able to get him on so he he fell into the trap maybe just not in the exact way that Chuck expected, but he he 
boy, he really, really fell into the trap. He really did. And I do want to come back to that in a minute as far as Jimmy, where's Jimmy at right now? Yeah. But to talk just a little bit more about Chuck's plan and the pieces of it. Looking back, I realized that they used Ernesto really skillfully as writers because what we said last time was, oh, it's cool to see Ernesto getting more to do. He's like the one person who's got Jimmy's back. He's like a friend from afar, a friend behind enemy lines. Right. And we trust Ernesto. We think he's a good guy. We've seen him just be on the edge of like maybe a little bit weak-willed or a little bit of a nebbish or something. I don't know. Right. But definitely a guy who has this friendship. So I think they skillfully deployed him because if you think about it now, every moment that Ernesto was in was misdirection from Chuck's plan. Mm -hmm. And even Kim has such good advice about the legal side of it. Let's see what they've got. Let's see what they're trying to do. And then we've got this great defense. Yeah. And all that's so compelling. I wasn't thinking about what Chuck expected Jimmy to do. I wasn't thinking about what Chuck expected Ernesto to do. Well, I knew from the first moment when we see him at the beginning of the show with a bodyguard and looking out the windows and locking all the doors made me... It, that's that's when it dawned on me. Oh, of course, this was his his plan was to have Jimmy come break in to get the tape. Right. You knew that he thought Jimmy might come for the tape and he might find out about the tape. But here's how I read that. Ernesto might say something to Jimmy. I need to be ready. Oh, right. Okay. But in retrospect, yes, it's like they totally tipped their hand. In fact, the guy was playing solitaire, so he was literally tipping a hand of cards. I wasn't piggybacking on the thought that last week's scene felt fishy. Right. I was, I was piggybacking much... More on the side of thinking, oh, Chuck realizes he screwed up. Mm-hmm. So I feel that they pulled off a good trick on me. And I don't know if other people out there felt the same way or if they felt like it was much more obvious. Yeah, no, I'm sure there are a lot of people who, like us, weren't completely caught up. But um, but yeah, uh, uh, I figured it's like we, we can see Chuck's process now that he said, well, I've got this tape, but it's nothing because of everything uh, he talked talked about with Howard. Uh, the tape on its own is nothing, but I can turn it into something by, uh, I don't know if you'd say entrapping uh, Jimmy into breaking and entering or uh, turning himself into a thief or or whatever. When Jimmy was talking to Kim about what happened, because Kim heard from Ernesto there's a tape, and then Jimmy is explaining to Kim what he did when he was over at Chuck's, why he said what he said and everything. And and I was just thinking, when you hear Jimmy explain himself, so often now, he just seems so dumb. <laughs> like, like, he really didn't think through the consequences of this or that. Now, I'm remembering last year the sort of exhilaration when he got Kim the Mesa Verde account, you know, mm-hmm. but still feeling sickened by just knowing that there was no way this was going to not blow back on him in a negative way. It's been like a... a a back and forth between the brothers McGill of awful behavior. It's not extremely clear that Jimmy has really considered the true consequences of just what he did to Chuck last year, of the, you know, the ethics behind that. And I think that that is what Chuck represents the sort of opposition to, is that he can't, he doesn't want Jimmy to get away with being slipping Jimmy, right, you know? Right, at all. So I guess I'll ask you, for both yourself and for Kim, who do you think you're madder at, Chuck or Jimmy? Well, I just side with Jimmy because I like him. He's more likable and fun and funny and he's the protagonist of the show so i think i've gone along with the setup of the show of like yeah i'm rooting for the for the hero chuck is like you can see his his arguments but he's the stern big brother and the follow all the rules guy and dot every i and cross every t and we're rooting for the guy who is saying hey let's have fun in life and if the world isn't isn't giving us all the fun let's kind of 
play a few tricks to get it, and he's fun and carefree and fancy-free, and it gets him in trouble. I almost feel like in this episode, we saw a sort of an out-of-character lack of panache from Jimmy, especially when it came to what Mike asked him to do Mm -hmm. at Los Poyos Hermanos. Like, I almost felt like it was a convenient thing that Jimmy was such a bad spy Mm -hmm. (laughs) when asked to trail uh, uh, Gus's guy. And I don't know, like even Mike seems like he's not particularly subtle sitting across the street with binoculars. Um, I mean, I totally think that drop didn't happen because they knew Jimmy was there. Oh, maybe so. I feel like he messed up Mike's plan by being impulsive and not quite knowing how to hang back. Mm -hmm. And then he messed up his own logo that he'd been working on this whole episode by by, uh, abandoning Chuck's more prudent tape removal method for (laughs) (laughs) wild tearing. And then in the end, he messes up whatever advantage they have based on Chuck's mental condition and uh, and the you know the inadmissibility of the tape and so forth. He threw that away by impulsively going over and just wanting to let Chuck have it. So yeah. I think that this episode it was reminding us again, like I've been saying, more and more negative things about Jimmy, more and more things that seem dysfunctional in this world. So I I, I don't know. I feel like we were sold a more competent schemer in the early uh, goings of the show, and that the writers have now had so much fun watching him suffer that they've they've really made him the architect of of his own despair in a way that. Maybe was inevitable, but it feels a little bit at odds with the uh, resourceful, scrappy character that we were introduced to at the beginning of this series. Yeah, I could. I think we could say maybe, or we could we could theorize that um, Jimmy is a very competent uh, schemer, a competent scam artist. Um, but those things you can you can think ahead and plan, and you're the one with the plans and schemes. When you're up against somebody who is planning and scheming against you, it's a lot harder. And when it's your brother and you have all these emotional investments in it, uh, that really throws you off, throws you off your game. And, uh, so I could find excuses for why Jimmy is kind of, uh, bumbling through this and, and making major, major mistakes here. If it's a McGill versus McGill courtroom showdown, Mm -hmm. and that's where we've been going with some of this, I'm, I'll eat that with a spoon. Yeah, it doesn't seem feasible to me that he does jail time, does it to you? Uh, it seems feasible to me because that's very realistic, and I feel like this show is very real- realistic. And they, they, a lot of times surprise me with how they don't shy away from. Well, this is what happens. This is what would happen. So let's do it. You know, like I could totally see in their writers' room somebody saying, "He's going to get him." So I guess he has to go to jail and. It's possible he that that uh, you know for this reason and this reason he can't post bail and and uh, so we're going to have to keep him in there for half a season. You know they might very well go, yep, that makes sense. Oh well, we're doing it. We'll just add some characters in the jail that he has to deal with. We'll come up with a lot of new and fun and entertaining stuff for 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 those scenes, and we'll have what's happening on the outside with Mike run concurrently. They could do all that, but they could just as easily say. Yeah, he's uh, he's in jail overnight, and then uh, Kim posts his bail, and now we're back to a uh, very similar uh, setup. He's on the outside, and he's getting ready to defend himself. You know how you always hear that you come out of prison... Trained. Like, less hireable and more knowledgeable about crime. Right. If that's a stereotype, I apologize. I don't know if that's psychologically accurate, but it rings true that people just kind of adapt to whatever situation they're in. So what if he goes in, Jimmy, the slightly unethical lawyer, and comes out having met all these criminals with all these brilliant ideas of how to help him out with the law, because he knows the law. Yeah. 
What if, what if it's an epiphany for him? So it could be a major part of his story. I just have never thought of it as that. And so it seems like it's unlikely that they will spend a significant amount of time with this character behind bars. But also it seems like if he was fully convicted, he would lose his license and never be able to practice uh, at all. Like the, they've, they've got to keep him able to, uh, to function as a lawyer. I think it's much more likely to be an agreement that he will change his name um, uh, as part of some settlement with Chuck. Yeah. Or Hamlin, Hamlin, and McGill, or whatever it is. It's like there's some point where that decision becomes a pragmatic one. Kind of necessary. It's like a plot-driven decision as well as sort of a symbolic decision that makes us go, oh, hell yeah, here comes Saul, you know. Or the other way around, even if it's not a legal agreement or settlement or something, it could just be that he's... he's uh, broken with Chuck so hard that he's mad and wants to start his life over and doesn't want to be a Miguel anymore and comes up with a new name. They can hit it on the nose, or it can be just a gradual thing where we start to see him acquiring the accoutrement right. of uh, Saul Goodman, which we did with Francesca, uh, who is Saul Goodman's secretary throughout Breaking Bad. Yeah, awesome to get her introduction. She always seemed a little bit worn out, you know, not the sort of chipper person that we met in this episode. And it made me remember the things that Saul says to Francesca later. So let's, I'm just going to back this up. And so this hints a little bit at what may happen in the future. Okay. Um, In the first episode where we meet Saul, he, she's getting in her car in the parking lot and he says, Hey, Francesca, why don't I follow you home? And she says, no, flatly. And he says, for safety. And as she walks away, he says, God, you are killing me with that booty. (laughs) Right. (laughs) All right. In a later episode, he says to her, take a break, HT. Let's go. And then she says, you're going to stop calling me that or I'm going to hang you by your tie. And then he says, yeah, yeah, stop showing off for the client. Honey tits. I say it's endearing. Right. He likes flirting with her and and they've they've gotten to a a point where uh, he, you know, gets pretty bad about it, but she is tolerant of it. To a degree. But I'm saying that does not seem like the same Jimmy who is going home to Kim or right. even has Kim in his life. Right. And it's cool to see him uh, train her now from a normal, competent, nice person to, hey, mention cra- Cracker Barrel and act as folksy as you can and that she does a good job of it and it, and it, and it works following his advice. Uh, That's just how you get get trained under, under Jimmy. Well, I actually was wondering, like, what is this character going to bring to this scenario outside of a reference to Breaking Bad? But then that line, she delivered this one line. She said, this one really don't want to talk about Cracker Barrel. That was so well, like, it felt like, yep, there's this rapport between her and Jimmy. And I didn't think so much about the mentor-mentee thing you just said. But yes, in the Saul days, she's she's always got a room full of miscreants sitting there. Yeah. Her, her lack of qualifications um, didn't seem to matter. He's a, he's a rash person, and he trusts his own judgment in, in people. Like, oh, I've, I see that she's... Just fine for the job. Got it. So, yeah, maybe he's a good judge of people. Or thinks he is. This episode was getting very close to being over, and I was thinking, eh, no real explosive moments tonight, you know. And then, I, I don't know if they snuck it in on you. I didn't think we were going to get that moment at the end. And I think they've done that to us two or three times before, where the real, oh, my gosh, moment is like the last two minutes yeah. of the episode. Right, right. Because you feel like it's coming to an end, and everything is kind of moving slowly. Um, and then suddenly a moment where Chuck is talking to Howard and the PI and kind of tipping his hand about his plan and you're getting a real sense of, oh, wow, this really is a setup. Um, Or at least he knew that that by telling Ernesto or showing Ernesto uh, that that, that, that it would mean that Jimmy would find out, that he's prepared for it. 
But he did still say uh, that he would only attack under the cover of darkness. Like Jimmy's this coward who's a sneak. Yeah. And then Jimmy barges in. So I do feel like Jimmy had this cool. There was a badass moment, uh, even though it's a scary, violent, angry moment. You know, um, that doesn't look good. Right. If someone tells what happened. Right. But I still think Jimmy has a a reasonable argument in court about the passion of the moment and the brother who has locked himself in the house and done all this crazy stuff. I still feel like the facts of the situation give Jimmy a certain amount of room to defend himself. But it's going to be terrible on paper. Um, You know, breaking and entering, threatening him. Doesn't he threaten him? He says he's going to burn down the house. Uh, You know, destroying his property. But so cathartic, you know? Yeah. So cathartic and like not like oh Jimmy's in the right one hundred percent here, but still felt like oh man I, I guess I'm glad I saw that even though I was really curious where the intrigue was going to go with the one-upsmanship of what are they doing now oh we need to do this what do we, we need to do this so if it is a uh, McGill versus McGill courtroom battle even though that feels so grand and almost like something this show wouldn't wouldn't think to do it's interesting how it would be that the case that's being tried literally would be sort of like. Jimmy versus Chuck. I mean, like, the matter being litigated would be Chuck. Is Chuck worse or is Jimmy worse? Do you know what I'm saying? Like, at some point, that's what the argument would be. So if you did get the brothers in court against each other, they would be arguing against the other's basic nature and existence. (laughs) Yeah. Jimmy would be having to argue that Chuck is an unstable person. Right, or trying to get these things into the trial, and they'll be, you know, struggling to get the judge to admit this or that fact. And, and Chuck would be fighting to show that Jimmy is like a, a ne'er-do-well, you know, from day one. And Chuck, too, probably wouldn't be able to resist kind of gilding the lily. It sounds a little too cartoonish for this show, but I could see them going in that direction, even if it happens in a boardroom and not a courtroom. Right. I could see this great argument where you would say, oh, that's what they've been building towards this whole time with the, the back and forth between these brothers. Right. And they could avoid a trial entirely. And, you know, as you've posited, they could... Uh, you know they could they could settle out right now with a with an agreement that says but you can't call yourself McGill anymore you know um they could do that that easily and quickly but i like to think it'll it will have more uh more excitement out of that and I, it, it would be awesome to go to trial with all this and you know it's just tragic that kim's even-handed assessment of the threat that the tape poses just no longer applies yeah like it's very painful J- jimmy has once again uh, he's made things worse for himself. And we sort of saw it happen and also kind of enjoyed it and kind of, like you said, rooted for him in the moment to do kind of what he was doing. <laughs> right. It's a real pity. But, yeah, it's like Jimmy does manage at least his only victory really is to uh, surprise Chuck by showing up suddenly in the daytime. <laughs> but he completely falls for Chuck's Chuck's plan. He goes completely into his trap. I will say that this episode had me realizing how much more invested I am in Jimmy, Chuck, and Kim than I am in Mike. Right. Mike's stuff was very, it was sort of on the uh, shade too far for me of drawing out not much happening, even though it was well shot and interesting to see, and I like watching Mike's methods and all that stuff. It played the Los Poyos Hermanos reveal as this big bum 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 right which it was a little too comically drawn out to work for me even though once it happened i did get this little giddy tingling of oh wow we know it now but i knew it before and i wondered how much i mean it was in so much of the promotional information like gus is out there they were not hiding it they were publicizing it right that's one of those things that that would have worked so much better and would have been a wonderful reveal if you had no 
no commercial bumpers or commercials or anything. Much more successful was the scene inside the restaurant where they draw out the uh, the appearance of Gus, and he's in the background, and we know that yellow shirt. Right. And we know that he's cleaning up the store, and we're admiring his nature, his cleanly nature, and how tidy he likes things. And I was thinking how much he's kind of resembling Chuck in a way, in that sense, that they're very fastidious and very detail-oriented guys. We're watching two uh, storylines that are chess games, you know, where Chuck is thinking... 11 moves ahead of uh, of Jimmy, and Jimmy's not keeping up. He's not thinking enough moves ahead. And the same— And Jimmy just kicked the table over. Right, and the, and the same for, for Gus and Mike. Mike is seems to be doing great. He's thinking four moves ahead. Wow, he figured out how to get the device out, and now he's following him. But no, then Gus gets ahead and has him go chase this car and find the gas cap and a phone. So— now he's winning the chess match. But they left us without the phone conversation, so that was weird to go on to other scenes and, you know, right on the cusp of hearing what happens on the phone. Well, we got that moment, and then we cut to Howard climbing over the fence. Right. So you really are going, which was great, by the way. I loved that. I loved, I'm loving that guy's performance as Howard. He brings something tightly wound and kind of not quite normal to that character. And I really wonder more and more what might happen to Chuck in the sense of, what Jimmy might do, what Jimmy might be driven to do, what someone might do on behalf of Jimmy or just someone getting caught in the crossfire of what uh, Jimmy might be involved in if he's actually trying to help Mike out. Because even though it doesn't seem like Mike really wants to continue getting Jimmy to help him, I think he will continue to remember that Jimmy will do what you ask him to do, no matter what it is. <laughs> right, he'll, <laughs> you know? right, he'll do a shady thing and he won't tell anybody about it. Right. Well, and to that end, about what Chuck's fate might be, there was an interesting quote. Michael McKean was asked in an interview about whether we're to believe Chuck is a villain or not. And he was sort of saying what we've always said, is that we watch the show and we see Chuck as a villain because he's in opposition to the lead, but that he actually has a point. And what he said was, if you look deep enough into Chuck, you'll find a human being there, but don't get too attached. Yeah, <laughs> right. But people picked up the headline as though he was saying, don't get too attached to Chuck. Uh, as as though he was saying the, as a character on the show. I don't think it was Michael McKean somehow slipping up and revealing something. The actors on this show are very tight-lipped about plot developments, you know, and I think that's the way they run things. Right. No, he's just saying, yeah, he's just saying if you find the human in there, realize uh, he is still a, a dark guy. I don't really have much else to say about this episode. I really like where the show is going. I am a little surprised at how quickly they got to the point where they are now. And so I'm kind of invigorated again after an episode where I really was starting to feel like this is a great show, but this is a nothing episode in a way. Like it felt like it was moving little bits and pieces forward. Um, so do you mm -hmm. have any other little odds and ends before we wrap things up? Uh, nothing major. I just wanted to mention a couple little things I liked that um, uh, talking with Francesca, um, she comes in and says it's a little crooked. And, uh, you know, maybe that's too cute, but I was totally on board for it that, that, you know, as a lawyer, Jimmy's a little crooked and he kind of, he hears that and, 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 and gets the significance of it with, without her getting it, of course, and, and sort of says back to her, a little crooked, I like that, or whatever. Uh, so that was fun, and uh, he has a, a, a little uh, truism that I thought was fun and funny that... Uh, coming from him is uh, uh, perfection is the enemy of the perfectly mm -hmm. adequate. <laughs> well, I've heard great is the enemy of good. 
Right. This is just a, 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 a version of that. No, it's very much like the Jimmy version of it, you know? Right. And that uh, we're going for just fine. It's, it's okay to go for just fine. And let's, let's not uh, tear it down by uh, trying too hard. I had just a couple of uh, little quick notes, too. One is a line, like you said, and this is just from around the the law office, when Mr. Tiller, I believe, uh, little, is leaving, and he's a bottle cap collector. And uh, and what he says is, what excites me is the hunt. <laughs> it was a good juxtaposition of this guy's idea of the hunt is bottle caps. Yeah, and that's always the way in Albuquerque, the, in Gilligan's Albuquerque, that, uh, you know, these these... Separate worlds are juxtaposed. All the innocent people who just think this is an innocent world and uh, the hunt for bottle caps is about as exciting as it gets. And they don't realize that all around them, people are being uh, thrown into life and death, drug deals gone bad and the like. I had one other little thing, which is interesting because just talking about how intricate the show can be, there was a moment with Ernesto that I interpreted one way when it first happened, and then I now see it differently, but I do think it was meant to be one of those visual metaphors that I like to point out when I can, which is when he pulls up to their office, um, and he's debating going in. There's a shot of him where you see his car in the foreground, and he's standing there, and it's basically the spoiler of the car, just taking up the left half of the frame Mm -hmm. while he's standing there. And at that moment, I was like, oh, like Ernesto is a spoiler for Chuck's plan by by going to Jimmy and and Kim and telling them about the tape. Mm-hmm. Like he's about to he's about to spoil Chuck's plan. That's why he's being framed, you know, right half of the screen Ernesto, yep. left half of the screen the spoiler on the back of his car. And then a couple scenes later I was like, "Oh, what he actually did was spoiled Jimmy and Kim's plan to some extent." Yeah. You know, he 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 still was a spoiler but not in the way that I thought. I right. can't imagine that that was accidental, but I don't know if I'm reading into it too much. But either way, it's fun to read into things too much. I'm sure they enjoy when you do. If that's the case, then hot talk. Hot talk. 